Hey, hey, you have found another episode of Speakernomics, the podcast about being a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and today we're going to talk about how do you stay relevant over the years in the business of professional speaking. And our guest is the legendary Patricia Fripp. Patricia, welcome to Speakernomics. It's my pleasure to talk to you. So, Patricia, what are your two tips for speakers on how to stay relevant over the decades? Listen to your clients. They will tell you what they want to buy from you. And two, constantly remember you have to perfect and improve what you're doing, whether it's speaking, emceeing, coaching, consulting. Always work to get better. Oh, those are awesome tips, Patricia, and we are going to have some fun unpacking those. I bet you have a lot of advice on that. So for those of you who don't know Patricia Fripp, and I don't know how, you could be in the business of professional speaking at any time over the last 44 years and have not heard the name Patricia Fripp, but companies hire her to drive more sales by perfecting their important conversations and presentations. She also works with executives, engineers, and some speakers to help them be more powerfully persuasive than they realized they could be. So Patricia, I said that you'd been in NSA at least for 44 years. You also were the first woman to be president of the National Speakers Association. Let's talk about just your journey. How did you get into the speaking business and what's the journey been like? I was San Francisco's number one men's hairstylist. And I was traveling nationwide for a hair product company, giving seminars for hairstylists. And all my executive clientele, who were the movers and shakers in the financial district, said, oh, if you're speaking, speak to my breakfast club, my rotary club. Can you speak at one of my team meetings? And I realized after two or three free speeches, this is the least expensive way I can promote my business. And... As it happened over the years, my early paid clients started from my hairstyling business. They always knew I would be good because of my personality. However, I exceeded their expectations. And I can tell you tales of executives who worked with me over 15, 20 years as they grew in their profession, they moved, they took me with them. And I started behind the hairstyling chair. It's so interesting because when you talk to speakers, and I have the honor of being the host of the show, I get to interview a lot of people who've had amazing careers in the speaking business. People come to it from a lot of different industries. But I've heard you speak before, and when you talk about being a hairstylist and making that transition, for me, that's a no-brainer. Because the people I've had cut my hair over the years who I've enjoyed, I don't really remember. I have a pretty short haircut. I don't really remember who had the best haircut, but I remember the ones who made the experience something that I just enjoyed more. And so you had those skills because obviously you were cutting people's hair and doing that thing. So do you think people can come into this business from anywhere? Yes. In fact, in 2000, 60 Minutes was at NSA, and people were lining up to, being in, to be interviewed. And I realized if I have any chance of being on 60 Minutes, I have to have a, tweetab a tweetable length quote long before Twitter was invented. And they asked, well, you're 
a, you're a, you used to be a hairstylist and now you're a motivational speaker. There's got to be a big difference. And I said, no. When I was a hairstylist, I worked on the outside of people's heads. As a motivational speaker, I work on the inside of people's heads. There's only half an inch difference. Oh, that is beautiful. That is fun. That line got me on 60 Minutes. The half inch has made me millions of dollars. <laughs> Not all in the same year. <laughs> so that's absolutely, that is a great, great story. So let's go to these tips about being relevant. Because yes. 44 years is a long time to be in any industry. And so your first one was you have to listen to your clients because they're going to tell you what they want to buy from you. Can you expand on that? I began speaking, and when I went full-time was when I became president of NSA. And as many new speakers, you think, what on earth can I talk about? I'm not an expert at anything. And then I realized I am an expert at getting, keeping, and deserving customers, at promoting small and medium-sized businesses. And that is what I talked about. And as I was one of the few women at the time, there were a few of us, and Jeannie was funny, We and we were both very different. And I had many opportunities. Now, in those days, and this is a little off what you asked, but in those days, People like Mike Frank used to say to their clients, would you consider a woman? And often they said no. Then it got to the point where companies needed to prove even male-dominated companies had to prove they were forward-thinking. They looked for women speakers. And then it became an advantage, especially as there were less women and the building business was growing. I was, I was very lucky. I worked very hard at my craft and hired speech coaches. And I made a comment at NSA decades ago. I said, it is very unrealistic for speakers to think that speakers bureaus will consider us the flavor of the month for more than 20 years. And I had a good 20 more years, 100, 120 keynotes, doing really well. Nancy Lauderback, who was a speaker bureau, came up and said, Patricia, I would never have thought to articulate it that way, but you're right. So I was mostly a keynote speaker, and I also added breakout sessions because I would spend longer with the clients. And by learning from the wonderful George Morrissey, I learned how to customize presentations. He gave me the first idea. So I was very good at customizing. So I had a good, good keynote career. And then two conversations changed my business. I was speaking at a national sales meeting. And the national sales manager came up and said, Patricia, I liked your speech. However, I loved how you delivered it. Can you teach our salespeople to speak that way? Because it takes us a year to have a one-hour conversation with a hospital board 
It's worth $9 million a year if we get the business and we are losing sales. And when I follow up, it's not our offering. It's not our price. The presentation of our competition, they're better than ours. And little did I know that woman gave me a focus and a direction that would keep me in demand when perhaps I don't look quite as good on iMac, although I am holding it together. <laughs> but no matter what the economy is doing, every company will invest in making sales. The second, I was, I'd always had a lot of a lot of speech coaches, I was screenwriting classes, anything to get better. And obviously, a lot of people said to me, oh, you a speech coach, can I hire you? And I was very, very busy speaking. So I said, well, go to Dawn Bernhard, go to Ron Arden. And then I had a speech for a small personnel company, 35 miles from my house. I gave my speech. The president gave her speech. We were having lunch and she said, do you do any speech coaching? I said, a little for some of my friends. She said, Patricia, I wish I was one of your friends. And then I drove home and on my answer machine was this dynamic charismatic, frippy kind of woman who said, I don't know if you do this. However, if you do, I want to give you to my husband for his birthday. She said, seven of my salespeople came to one of your speaking classes and loved it. My husband's a great speaker. However, he about to get ready for the most important speech of his career. And if you, if you do executive speech coaching, I want to hire you. I thought, okay, God, twice in the morning. And that was the day my shingle went up as an executive speech coach. So how many years ago was that? That probably was around 18 or 20. So for a long time, I was still keynote speaking. But of course, as the years went by, my focus now, certainly I speak. However, I do not make my living as a keynote speaker. I make my living working with engineers getting ready for the user conferences, sales teams to perfect their presentations, and some individual speakers who want to really up their game. So you talk about this idea of listening to your clients. I yes. know from 12, I guess really 15 years in the business, I've heard clients say things that I've probably thought, I don't do that. So do you think a lot of speakers don't tune into these messages? They don't get the person at the speech and the answering machine within six hours of each other so they don't get hit over the head enough times? Do you think people are leaving money in the table because they're not hearing it? Well, I know I was. It was just these were, and, and let's be honest, there are some times that we are ready to hear the message. And if you are still in love with lighting up the stage, 
perhaps you're not ready to be a consultant. I remember the day I looked round and realized I'm getting my keynote fee and there are six people in front of me. I realized now my career has really changed. What I used to do as a keynoter, which gives you more opportunity to expand, I always would make it very cost effective for me to stay for two days. I'd deliver a keynote and five breakout sessions because then you show you have more depth than this wonderful orchestrated keynote. Do you think that that concept of staying and doing one, two, three, four breakout sessions, do you think those opportunities are as common as they were 20 years ago? I don't know. However, you don't know till you offer. And my strategy was come early and stay late and listen to what the executive said and tie it into my speech. However, again, you just luck out. Sometimes you luck out. And at one of these events, one of my breakout sessions was on, of course, presentation skills, and I was coaching. And the executive running the meeting was walking around and just popping in, making sure the breaking breakout sessions were going well. Well, he just walked in the moment I had one of his salespeople on stage and I'm coaching him, Gene Hampton, and he was great. And he came up to me and said, we need to talk to you about coaching all our salespeople. So again, my best client, who I've worked for every year in multiple roles, Dan Maddox, who won an award when we used to give NSA member uh, sort of, it was an award for people who helped our industry. And he has always said, it is not my job to know how else I can use your services. It's your job to let me know. Mm, I like that. That's, that is powerful. Yes. And when you do breakout sessions that are interactive and they've seen you be charismatic, they realize there is more that you can do. Awesome. This is like a masterclass in speaking for everybody who's listening to this episode. So your second tip was constantly improve your presentation and, and, and your abilities as a speaker, as a coach, as an MC, as a workshop leader. How should people be improving their skills? So many people in the business, they get the standing ovations, they get the smile sheets that say all fives down the thing and they think, I don't have to work on my stagecraft. Well, let me, let's just say you are a 10, 15, 20, or even $25,000 speaker. And you said, Patricia, they love me. The bureaus love me. I don't think I can get any better. However, one of my friends said one of the best investments in his career was to talk to you. What are we going to do? My approach to getting business is what I call I sell by doing, I don't sell by telling. I'll give you a couple of examples. So one, and we're leaving this $25,000 keynote for a moment and going to an executive. I speak at 
Speechwriters Conference is, in fact, I'm very proud that a speech I wrote for Executive was printed in Vital Speeches of the Day, March of this year. So as a speechwriter, that's a big honour, just as a CPA is a big honour in this world. I digress. <laughs> At one of these Speechwriters Conference, I met, met the head of communications for Cisco Executive. And we had a three-way call, this was before Zoom, three-way call, and Tom said, Patricia, can you tell Brian, the executive, how you work with executives? I ignored the question and said, Brian, congratulations on your promotion. I read that you just turned around this division. How did you do it? And 25 minutes later, he told me his five-step process. I said, that is incredible, and you described it so articulately, I assume that will be the framework of your presentation. And then I said, well, you have two hours. Are you speaking the entire time? And he said, well, I'm going to introduce the other five VPs working under me. And I said, well, are they going to speak? He said, well, they could, or I could do all the speaking. And I said, well, they probably aren't as good speakers as you, but I'm sure the people who are going to be reporting to them would like to have a taste of who their leader is. So I ended up with six coaching clients. That's the way you do it. That is that is really awesome. So let's go back, back to, to the, the twenty-five thousand right. dollars or even even the, the five thousand dollars speaker. speaker. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, my approach, for example, one of our very loved NSA members who I've always loved seeing on stage called me recently, I want a new speech, etc. So before we had the conversation, I watched two of his video clips on his website. So I knew we put our best stories on the website. And I said, you know, I've always loved you. You have personality, blah, 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 blah. Let's look at this signature story of yours and we analyzed it one sentence at a time and when I do this and I am combining multiple conversations in this so for example is I say your opening line was at 52 seconds the rest was waffle that was your opening line. Now, can you see, this was very powerful Could you stood still, but can you see here, you moved and it would be much more effective to stand still there. Now, when you moved here, this was perfect because, now, you're telling this story. Now, there you are in seat 2B of American Airlines. Now, you're telling us this, but you're now wandering up and down the plane. If you're in a scene, you need to keep us in the scene. If you, are, if you say, I am sitting in the seat, and he's have, he's having, he think, doesn't know if he's having a heart attack, you're there in the moment. You can't move around on stage. Now, if you said, oh, I went up and went to the bathroom or asked for water, you can move. So you have to keep us in the scene. So we analyze the delivery and how it's put together. Then if you have a speech 
This is your signature speech. This is the one everybody wants that made you famous. You have it transcribed. You don't do it yourself. You give it to a transcription service and we are going to read what came out of your mouth. Now, I always look at how many times you say I and we yellow highlight or different color markers. Yellow highlight every time you say I to see can you make it more you focused. Can you, even if I is in the sentence, it isn't the first word, especially if I is the first sentence of these eight paragraphs on page one, that needs work. You also look at repetitive phrases and words that aren't needed. Now, for me, my number one question of every client, and I would say of almost every speaker I see on every NSA stage is, if it weren't a thing, what would it be? Thing is non-specific. So, for example, one of my brilliant engineers, he said there are two things people love about. I said, if they weren't things, what would they be? He said, innovative upgrades. I said, there are billions of people in the world. What people love your innovative upgrades? He said, systems administrators. You see the quality of the words. So we go through and we make it more specific. And I'm sorry, tons? You don't get tons of ideas. Well, Patricia, you're famous for correcting people when they say they stuff. Well, I, that's why I left it out. And there are sometimes genie can get away with it. But in general, it's the quality of your language. We are wordsmiths and the world is turning into sloppy, sloppy speakers. For example, Tom, this morning... Tom, Tom, you said real quick. It's really quickly. So I have to let everybody listening to the podcast today. Patricia saw me MC a panel. We did a live. And it was marvelous. We did a live speakernomics edition, which by the time you hear this episode, you probably can go back and actually listen to speakernomics unplugged at the National Speakers Association. And she's dissecting what I said. So repeat that. What did I say? And what should I have said? You said real quick, really quickly, or you could say quickly. If any serious student wants to take their own script, they don't need a speech coach, although it sometimes takes a different point of view or your mastermind group to work on it. I would say, if, it's, if it weren't a thing, what would it be? If it, it, it's not a bunch, if it's not fruit or vegetables, how many do you mean? Is it a handful? Is it a dozen? If you can't weigh it, it's not tons. You need different words. Also being aware, and some of our greatest experts say kinder and sorta. I notice with my clients, and I work with a lot of different cybersecurity tech companies, there are habits and so many kinder, kinder, kinders. If you are giving people advice, and I promise you probably don't realize you're doing it or you're trying to be modest. P 
people are looking to us for the answer for advice. And if you kind of sort of, well, I don't think he's really that confident. Then there are all the words we don't need. Actually, simply, basically, literally, take them out, you don't need them. And this is the point. Every time you take words out that are not needed, the words that are left are much more important. Wow. So is this something a speaker can do without hiring a coach? Oh, of course. So Transcribe your speech. Take this advice. Here another couple. Oh, this was from your panel. And you understand, it isn't that it's bad. It's just, it could be better. The thing that surprised me the most. No. What surprised me the most? Then, we have to be aware of the structure of a sentence to be remembered and repeated. For example, twice in this conference, speakers have made the same, from my point of view, a mistake. They both did such a marvelous job at taking us back to a scene. The audience knew we were in the past. And then, as your audience is with you, my father was 24 at the time. My mother was 22 at the time. We know it's way back in history. We know what you're telling us at true. We know we're at that time in history. And there were two times with two different presentations. Another one, somebody said, fast forward two years later. Fast forward two years is in the future. Don't tell us it's later. That is redundant. Then, any, well, 99% of the time, any unit of time is a setup phrase, not an impact phrase. Looking at the world of comedy, there's a setup phrase, a punch word, a punch phrase. Take my wife, please. And any comedian who talks after the punch word or punch phrase is going to kill the laugh. In business communication, there is a setup phrase and an impact phrase. What is at the end of the sentence is most important. So if you were going to say, today we will discuss, no, I can't even do it wrong. We are going to discuss how you can double your income today. No, in the next 48 minutes, be specific. Today is 24 hours. In the next 48 minutes, and I would take out we and make it directly you, you will learn how you can double your income. So Patricia, I've seen you speak before and I love the way you pay attention to the words and I believe that that is one of the things that has led to your success. One of the reasons? 
that has led to my success? I believe this is key to your success. So why do more speakers, myself guilty of this, why do more speakers not wordsmith their talks to the level that you do? Because they're getting booked the way they are. Great answer. All right, as we wrap up this episode, you have told us a lot. You've talked to us about listening to your clients, which I think we can all do more. I know I can. And we've talked about how do you actually improve that presentation and really dissect it. What do you think the future of professional speaking will be? I'm not sure. However, I will validate what we have heard before. And years ago, I believe it was in Tom Winage's year, we began talking about we're not speakers, we are experts who speak. And I would say the future for NSA members who want to be relevant at any stage of their career. As a hot senior citizen, I'm never going to be the hot in speaker I was perhaps at 40. That is unrealistic. And everybody who is successful says, especially when there's a pandemic, when there's a recession, whatever the next drama and tragedy will be, you have to have different ways you can serve your clients. Patricia Fripp, thank you so much for being a guest here on Speakernomics. I am a fanboy, so it's been fun to sit here with you for the last half hour. Any final word for professional speakers who are listening to this podcast? All learning requires repetition and reinforcement. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened. Please make sure that you go and subscribe to Speakernomics. Every single week, we sit down and ask for tips from people who are out there doing it. And we are talking today to Patricia Fripp, who is a legend in the speaking business. And next week, it will be somebody else. There's always a tip and there's always something that will help you be more relevant and that will help you be a better speaker and build a better business. And please always remember the motto of this show. Speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.